Well, uh, a couple couple things that have come to mind this week, and it, actually I had it as the title for a little bit of my sermon, and I changed it to, to something a, a little less um, shocking, but two words, uh, ballroom dancing and, and landmines. <laughs> yes, ballroom dancing and landmines, two things that came to mind this week, and if you are with us as we walk through First Peter, First um, Peter has a similar passage that speaks about the relationship of husbands and wives, and I spoke about ballroom dancing, if you remember. Well, when Kelly and I, when we were first married, we had a friend who was a ballroom dancing instructor, so he loved to bring everyone into his world of ballroom dancing. And one thing that he did for us, he's like, well, I'll give you guys some ballroom dancing lessons. And he did not know what he was getting into, <laughs> offering that to us. Both Kelly and I, we, we're just not very good at dancing. We don't have anything against it. We're just horrible dancers. Uh, but he did that partly because he just wanted to bless us with, he just loves dancing. And the other thing, he wanted to, to take us through that lesson just to see the beauty in ballroom dancing, there's um, a beauty in it is you have one who the male leads and, and the, the wife follows in it. And there's this beautiful dance when they're working in partnership together. And it's a good thing. And he wanted to just kind of demonstrate that and, and hopefully through that um, be able to see how well I was going to lead. And I did horrible, so I don't know. <laughs> but, but the reality, even, even in that there's a beauty, there's a balance, but there's a partnership in that. And there's a picture there. And it's not a bad picture. And then um, landmines. Uh, well, as I was studying this, I, I ran, ran into a comparison of this passage to the, the DMZ, the, the demilitarized zone in between um, South Korea and North Korea. Maybe you're probably familiar with that area. It's an area between those two countries that, that is a neutral zone. And because of that, that there aren't things that, that are built there. It's it's untouched area that nature has grown up. And it's become a kind of a de facto nature reserve in that area. And as I did some study on my own, there's about 5,000 different species of animals and plants in that area. So it's this really lush area and 100 animals that are protected that are in that area. But at the same time, there, there are landmines that are scattered throughout this beauty in this area. And also one thing I, I read too is that in that area that they're, they've thought about, and they've started to, to remove some of those mines out of that area, but other um, biologists have come in and said, hey, no, you're going to continue to disturb the beauty that we have going on if you remove those landmines. Just leave them. Um, so in this passage, we walk through a passage that there is, should be, if understood rightly, great beauty in it, but there's also a lot of landmines, um, potential landmines in this, both culturally and also just as we have walked through life, we, we walk through things that are difficult in marriage. Maybe you're walking through difficulties in marriage, or you have in the past, or just have a lot of history there. And so it's a sensitive place to walk um, as we walk through it. And as a pastor, I have to be careful, you know, walking through it. And I don't take it lightly. And we shouldn't. We should want to understand what God says in this passage. But we also don't want to remove what might be offensive as well. Like words like submit. Oh, we don't like that word. None of us like that word. Submit to one another. Don't like it. Um, but we need to not remove those. We need to seek to understand them. And it is a, a passage that talks about submitting. And we began, we read from verse 18 
into that so we can understand that. And one definition for submission that I mentioned a couple weeks back from Pastor Matt Chandler, he said submission is a right response of, of the people of people to the commands of God. It's willingly setting aside your desires, your needs to honor the desires and the needs of others. And we're called to do that first together. Uh, Penny read, starting in verse 18 in chapter 5, and it talks about we need to be filled with the Spirit. And as we're filled with the Spirit, we, we we're to be addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're to be giving thanks always and for everything to our God. And then we're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, pointing to Jesus Christ, because we want to serve him. We submit one to another. And it really goes back even in Ephesians and in chapter 4. It talked about how we are all one people in Christ. If we are in Christ, we were all those. None of us come to Christ in a different way. We're all those who were once dead in sin, and Christ made us alive and gave us new life. So we're on the same standing before our God through Christ. So we're one. We're united. So we should act and love and serve one another. And there's different ways that Ephesians points to how we're to act with one another in the church, but also in our marriage and relationships. It begins in Ephesians 4, verse 1. Paul calls us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've been called, that, that we've been given with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity in the spirit, in the bond of peace. So humble, gentle, patient, bearing. That's how we're to submit and treat one another. Then later, verse 15, we're to speak truth to one another in love. When we speak to one another, even encouraging and admonishing, we're in love, pointing people one another to Christ. Or then later in chapter 4, verse 11, or 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, slander be put away from you, along with malice, but be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So we have these models, examples of what we're to, how our relationships look one to another. And then also in our different relationships, even as there's a, a submitting as brothers and sisters in Christ, there's still in our relationships different roles that submission plays and the way that God has designed things. And in a healthy marriage, it, there's a good and beautiful balance that we have in those marriages. As a, a husband and wife, uh, again, that picture dancing together, walking through life hand in hand together with the husband leading. How does he lead, as we're going to see in a little bit, through sacrificial love, leading through sacrificial love and serving his wife, and his wife seeking to allow her husband to lead her family, um, and submitting to that leadership role that he's been given. So in this, we're going to see a call to submission, but then also this call of sacrificial love, and, and they balance one another out in a beautiful way. And really, marriage and family, they're building blocks in life. They're building blocks in society, because throughout the world, throughout time, because God has designed it that way. There shouldn't be a surprise that that is the case. And so as we walk through this, I feel the weight of it. Uh, and I want to walk through it carefully together and be discerning and prayerful as we think about it. And I also want to note as we look at this passage that Paul, he's also, as he teaches about marriage, he's, 
really teaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's wanting us to see Jesus. He teaches that Jesus was one who sacrificially loved the church. That's churches, brothers and sisters in Christ, followers of Jesus that gather together, that he sacrificially loved us, and he's our Savior and our Lord, and the church, he is the head of the church. We're to look to him to lead, ultimately, in all our relationships. Who's the head? Christ Jesus in our life. And the Christian marriage is to reflect that. It's to reflect the gospel and the beauty of it. It should point people ultimately to Jesus. So hopefully as we walk through that, we'll see some of those things. So verses 22 through 24, there's a call of humble, the humble submission um, of a wife. So we're going to look through that and, and wrestle through it in a bit as we go through. So verse 22, wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. So it just begins that way, submit as to the Lord. So that's the first call. How do we, in what way are they to submit? As to Jesus Christ, first and foremost. And ultimately, um, she's seeking to follow the leadership of Jesus Christ. And that's the first call. When we studied in 1 Peter, uh, the passage is in chapter 3, but earlier in chapter 2, Peter also taught about submitting and, and what is the, the goal or what is, how do we begin? And he said, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. And he goes on, he begins speaking and saying, hey, there needs to be a submission to governing authorities. And during that time, there wasn't great governing authorities. Um, they were oppressing the people and there was a lot of corruption and things. But he said, be subject um, but first, as to Christ Jesus. Ultimately, when, when we are subject to, to anyone or anything, we're, we're first to Jesus Christ, and we want to be in obedience, submit that we might ultimately point people to Jesus and the hope that we have in him. So that's, that's a little bit what we have here. As the, as the wife is called to submit herself under the, the leadership of the husband, but mostly or for primarily to point people to Jesus Christ for the sake of Jesus Christ and our obedience to him. And now we can also note here, it doesn't say, it doesn't say, he doesn't say, husbands, command your wives to submit. Do you see that here? Not here, right? There's a call for the wives to, to lovingly do this. And submission's not really based so much on the husband. I think if, even in that first Peter passage, um, this is what that first Peter, when it calls the wife to submit, it says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wife. So the situation is here is that their wives whose husbands don't trust Jesus Christ. They're, they're not believers. And he says, uh, be, submit to your husbands in order that in the end they might see just your, your love and your following that you might be able to point them to Jesus. So he calls them to that. So the subjection is not based so much on, on the, even the, the quality of the husband at this point. But that he's called to submit in order that you might point them to Jesus Christ. And before we, we go much farther, I think an important thing, and we, when we looked at First Peter, uh, we did this as well. Look at submit, what submission is not. I think it's important to, to look, what is it not? So before we go farther, we should look at those things, because this passage has been used and can be used to, to, to hurt women, I believe, um, to, have a, to be domineering or to be a bully, but that is not what is going on in this passage we will clearly see. 
So just some things about what submission is not. It does not mean that wives always agree with their husbands. It doesn't mean that they always agree, right? Uh, In 1 Peter, the whole scenario was that the wife had followed Jesus Christ. And the husband had not. And in that culture, it would be a day and a time where it would be unheard of for a wife not to follow the God of their husband. It would just be totally contrary, but that's what's going on. So I think, I thought when I, well, I first got married, um, what it meant to lead Kelly and for her to submit was that she was going to agree with everything I said. And, and I was so frustrated when she didn't agree with everything I said. And I was like, you're just not getting this whole thing. But, and I, I, I shared the story when we went through First Peter that the first time I can remember that, really, that rub and wondering, how's this thing going to work out? We were newly married, moving into our first apartment. It was a two-bedroom, small apartment with a master bedroom and then like an office, a smaller bedroom. And I wanted, I had a twin bed. I, we were 29 when I married and had this twin bed for a while. And I was like, well, let's, let's keep that. I can put it in. We can put it in there. And she's like, there's no room in there. And I'm like, well, what if we have guests? She's like, inflatable mattresses? You can put it in there? And anyway, so we went back and forth. And I was just so frustrated that she didn't agree with me. And eventually I saw the wisdom of what she was saying. And I was like, oh, man, I just, I think I, I'm not quite sure how this, how this is all going to work out. But, but there's times where we, we don't agree. And that doesn't mean that she's, she's not following my leadership. As we speak and she shares wisdom, or, we'll talk about that in a little bit. So it doesn't mean that, that um, there's always agreement, always. It doesn't mean that the wife puts uh, um, the will of the husband above that of the will of God. Ultimately, the submission is to Jesus Christ and his word. And following that, following our Lord. It doesn't also mean that they're, they're, fearful, they're afraid of their husbands. No, there's not that fear. But instead, they're trusting, having a right, reverent fear first of, of God. Uh, and their hope is in the Lord. It's also, it's not a checking of a brain and will or decision, reason, uh, making cap- capabilities at the door. Right? Um, I know for me, um, and, and for all of us husbands, we need to be asking our wives and listening a lot, asking for their discernment, their wisdom, um, as they seek the Lord. And we would be a fools, and I personally would be a fool not to seek the wisdom of my wife as making decisions. So it doesn't mean that she stops making decisions and walking through. We walk together. We're, we're one flesh we see later. We make those together, walk together, and as I seek to, to lead and love and guide. It also doesn't mean that if a husband is unfaithful or abusive, that there's no biblical recourse for separation. We see that in Scripture. There's protection there. It doesn't mean that a wife is to endure physical or emotional or verbal abuse. That's not what submission is. It doesn't mean that husband is the wife's source of strength and faith either. Uh, the husband isn't the source of the wife's strength and faith. Who is? Jesus Christ is the wife's source of strength and faith and hope. Think of Ephesians 3. Paul prayed for the church, and he's prayed that the Lord would grant them strength with power through his spirit in the inner being that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith. So our strength is from the Lord. It doesn't mean that wives are to be weak or fearful or even passive. That's not what's being called here. It doesn't mean that a wife is lower or lesser or of any different value than her husband. Um, we are equal before the Lord. We're all created as those who are image bearers of our God. 
We're image bearers. We're all equal before Christ. Paul says in Galatians 3.28, this is how he states it. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no female, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're brought one in Christ. All those who were once dead but made alive in him. So there's an equalness there. And the call to, it's here, also note, it says, the call is to submit to your own husband. It's not to submit to everyone's husband, right? It's specific um, call in the relationship of marriage, right? So instead, since she is called to honor God's role in marriage, to allow the husband to lead as far as he is not walking in sin and not calling her and her and the children to follow in a path that would lead them away from the Lord. And she lives as first a follower of Jesus Christ, who, whose hope is in Jesus Christ, ultimately. She's been radically changed by Christ and has life in Him. And because of her strength and her hope and her faith and her life being rooted in Christ and not her husband, she can then be free to openly, um, lovingly seek to follow the leadership of her husband at the same time. So submission. And then Paul continues and says more about what it, why a wife is called to submit. And we see that as part of God's design, even from creation. Just part of God's design and desire for husbands to take up that role and to lead. And it should reflect then the gospel and reflect the role of Christ leading the church. And leadership is a good thing. We need leadership in all areas of life. So it's not a bad thing when it's done well. Then verses 23 through 24, let me read those. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So the wife is called to submit to the leadership of the husband because God has created the institution of marriage and called husbands to lead the family. And... We should note, too, that if a husband's called to lead, then he is under the accountability of God to lead well. So there's a huge responsibility under the accountability of the Lord God to lead and to love and to lead, as we see, with a sacrificial loving as we're led, as our Jesus Christ leads us, as Christ leads the church, as Christ gave himself up for the church. That's the example that we have. So we see that the relationship of husband and wife reflects that relationship as we see in this passage of Jesus leading the church as one who gave himself up, laid his life down for the church. So as we end um, Paul's instructions here to the wife, we look um, now to this instruction to the husband. I think it's important that we point out that there have been times where these verses have been used, have been misused, and used as maybe a weapon or a battering ram or maybe even the nuclear option within a marriage to end a conversation, to end it. But that's really just being a bully and not being a sacrificial, loving leader as Christ has called us to lead. So Paul's instructions to husbands they must be on guard against our attitudes and actions that we're submitting first to Jesus Christ as we lead. 
and not using it um, as a, some sort of weapon um, in our relationship. It's not what this is given for at all. Um, I think of Paul, what did he say earlier? Speak the truth how? In love. Speak the truth in love. And sometimes God's word can be used and maneuvered and moved to, for bad results, right? That can always happen. But it's not because there's a problem with God's word, but it's a problem with the way that we can corrupt and use God's words. So we need to make sure we understand his the word. And as husbands that we love, as Christ calls us to love and lead, which brings us to verse 25 through 27, there's a call of sacrificial love um, of the husband. A call, the call of the sacrificial love of the husband begins in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So husbands, how are you to lead? How does he begin? What does he lead out on? Love. Husbands, what do you say? Love. Love your wives. You're saying, well, my wife, she doesn't do this, she doesn't do that. No, love her. Love her. Love her. Love her. How do we love her? As Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself up. He gave his life. He left the glories of all of heaven to come and die. He emptied himself, becoming a servant, being obedient, obedient even to the point of death on the cross. He came not to be served, but to serve. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came as a good shepherd who willingly laid down his life for his sheep. He gave himself up for the church. Love her. One of my favorite stories of Jesus, an example of his love, is in John 13 when he washes the disciples' feet. So this is from John 13. I'm going to read a few of the verses from that, starting in verse 1. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to, to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In verse 4, Jesus, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment, taking a towel and tied it around his waist. Then he poured out water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. In verse 12, And when he had washed their feet and put, out, put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do not, or do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. So a loving, leading husband isn't clothed in a military general's uniform, giving out orders, but is clothed with a towel wrapped around his waist and has a basin. He kneels and he washes feet, washes the feet of his wife and his kids. That's the picture that we are given of how we lead. And if a husband is clothed this way and serves this way and loves this way, it shouldn't be a burdensome task to follow 
that leadership uh, as he lovingly leads and seeks to bring guidance and point his family to Jesus. Now, we don't always do that well, but may that be our guide and our goal and our standard as husbands. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or in any, su- or in any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Stop there. So here we have this example of Christ who gives the example, leading sacrificially, loving, and doing so that he might sanctify the church, that he might die for them, that they could be forgiven and have life. And these verses, I think they primarily, they're just pointing to what Christ has done for the church, that he has died for her, the righteous one that died for the unrighteous, that we might be forgiven. Or as 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And he cleansed us. I think in 1 John 15, he spoke to the disciples and he said to them, Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And they're clean because they've heard the gospel, they've heard the good news, they believed and they've trusted in Jesus. They're forgiven. Um, you could also look at Titus 3, 4 through 5, another passage that speaks about that washing. There's a cleansing, a forgiving that happens. So husbands, they're, they're not their wife's savior, okay? We're not our savior of our, of our wife and our kids. That's, we are ambassadors of the grace of our God and the grace of Jesus. So we can't bring about that cleansing, but I think we are to lead our Wives, husbands, lead our wives and our kids to look to Jesus. We should be the ones that lead them to Jesus, lead them to look to Jesus, lead them before the throne of God, lead them to prayer. Husbands, pray with your wives and your kids. Husbands, lead them to God's word, reading God's word that point to Jesus. And we need to do whatever we can to fuel our wives and our kids' passion for Jesus. Whatever that means, whatever the connection point is, figure that out and fuel that passion for Jesus, that they might know of the forgiveness of sins and the hope and the life that we can have in Jesus. That's how we lead them. And then verses 28 through 31, we see a call um, to, in my nose, I have a holy unity, or maybe I I changed, I think, on the slide to to a holy union, the unity or holy union that we see in marriage, that we see this picture here, verse 28 through and following. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Cherishes, yeah, yeah, just as Christ as a church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So here again, we see this emphasis on the sacrificial love of the husband teaching about the union that a husband and a wife share together. And in verse 31, he goes all the way back to Genesis. So he goes back to the beginning of creation. So we can see that these ideas that God has planted in this institution of marriage and the relationship of husband and wife was from all of creation. So it's not a culture, it's not bound in culture, but it's part of what God has done is creation. So God has instituted marriage, and he speaks here of that sexual union of husband and wife. Uh, they come together and they become one flesh. There's true 
unity there. So a husband to serve and care for his wife is as serving and caring for himself. Uh, it's one and the same as he does that. So as we love our wife, we, we love ourselves and we're caring for them as we would care for ourselves. So husbands are the way that we should feel just the weight of responsibility to lead and to love and to care that God has placed upon us to love. And we can emphasize too, uh, we're not going to, we just don't have time today and we've talked about that a few weeks back, but uh, the emphasis too here is between the husband of, or the union of a husband and a wife, um, that God has designed that, um, for God designed, he's designed marriage and sexual union within marriage and there's this foundation of sexual purity that we see from creation. And we talked about that a few weeks back and earlier in Ephesians 5. So if you want to, um, if you have notes on that, go back and look at that. Or uh, the sermon's probably uploaded on that. Uh, but to kind of dig on into that more of that truth and that, that um, yeah, truth of God's word that we see here. So then finally, verses 32 through 33, we kind of have a summary of what's happening here. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it reflects Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So here, marriage from creation was designed by God to point people ultimately to Jesus and to the gospel. So that's mystery. A lot of times when the Bible speaks about mystery, it's not saying like a puzzle that has to be put together, but something that was once hidden and now revealed. The mystery is that from the very beginning, beginning of creation, when God instituted marriage, his goal and his desire was ultimately that that was going to reflect Christ's love for the church and point people to the gospel. So this is an amazing thing. And there's a, a, a responsibility we have in it, that through our marriages, we can even be a light to the gospel. I mentioned several weeks back when we were talking about um, sexual purity and, and the design that God has, as we see in Ephesians 5, I mentioned how living in other parts of the country Sometimes we think, well, there's just sexual immorality in our country. And I mentioned how when I was in Ecuador, just some of the depravity I saw there, that I was on a field trip with high school students. And they took us to go swimming. And afterwards, they dropped them off at a brothel. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And I had to find a taxi home. And, and that was 20 years ago. So there's just sexual immorality there. But then in China, how I, I told you how a third or fourth question a taxi driver would ask me, even after I told him I was married and my wife was here with me in China, he would ask, well, have you found a mistress here yet? And I'd be like, no, I told you I was married. Um, but in that, there was just a breaking down of families in those cultures because of the sexual immorality in the cultures that families were broken. We didn't see a lot of healthy marriages, so people were drawn to us and our family because they saw something they desired. They're like, I've never seen a husband love and serve. Not that I did perfectly. I'm not trying to do that, but I'm just saying that they saw something unique and different, and it gave us opportunity for the gospel, but it should be the same in our community, in our, in our life as well here in America, that we reflect the gospel. And then again, he he closes and begins and tells the husband, love your wife again. Uh, you might say, well, my wife, this, that, that. No, I don't care. Love her. Love her. Love her. This is how you lead. Take that towel and basin. Get down on your knees and serve your family. And then, wives, you're called to, to follow that lead of the husband. And it, and it is a beautiful thing when it's played out in the way that God has designed, that we might point people to Jesus, and we need the grace of Jesus. 
right? We need Jesus. We all fall short. Maybe this week you're like, oh, my goodness. It's this way and that way. I've just fallen short. Well, the Lord extends his mercy and his grace. He said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So his grace is extended to us today that we might even grow in our loving and serving of one another. Let's pray.